Upgrades. Project Herpetoculture, episode 30. Um, before I introduce our guest, I just want to do like a little bit of housekeeping per usual. Um, I'm Philip Leitz, uh, joined as always by the one and only enigmatic, charismatic Roy Arthur Blodgett, um, who, despite what you may have heard, does in fact live in the UK. Um, and <laughs> um, I want to uh, give a little space here for our sponsors. Project Herpetoculture is brought to you by Custom Reptile Habitats, makers of premium PVC reptile enclosures. I use these vivariums myself and have been very pleased with their quality and customer service. We have an affiliate link for them posted in our bio. And if you make a purchase through that link, we'll receive a commission at no additional cost to you. We're also supported by Cold-Blooded Caffeine, roasters of quality coffees from across the globe. And for each bag of coffee purchased, Cold-Blooded Caffeine donates a small portion to conservation in coffee growing regions. Regions which also support some amazing herpetofauna. Even better, you can apply the code Project Herp for an extra 10% off your order. And last but not least, we have Redline Shipping for all of your reptile shipping needs. Check them out for some of the best customer service in the industry. If you're interested in supporting the show directly as a listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash projectherpetoculture. We also now have a range of merch posted on our website at projectherp.com. Of course, sharing the show with a referral or shout out on social media is always helpful. Just know that every ounce of support is greatly appreciated as we grow the capacity and scope of the show. We have really big ambitions for Project Herpetoculture, and it's all only possible with the generosity of our listeners and sponsors. So thank you again. And with that, on to the show. And then we also just want to give a shout out to Dylan at the Animals at Home Network and the Animals at Home Podcast, uh, the GOAT, um, mm-hmm. for, for hosting our show. He's the dude. Um, we really appreciate that guy. Um, but with all of that out of the way, for some reason, that always feels like the most, like, I don't know what it is about that, but for doing that little intro spiel just feels like we got to just get through this. I, I hate it. <laughs> I, I hate doing it. I don't know why. But with that said... Our guest is Heather Moy. Heather, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah, awesome. So uh, before we hit record, we were talking about going through TSA with Ron. So, so, yeah. So Alan Rapashi was on recently. You guys had just aired. And so we watched it. And he was talking about Ron's um, dislike for flying. So I was cracking up during that whole (laughs) segment because trying to get him on a plane to go to Tenley has been, (laughs) it's always a battle. Like it's a battle. So he'll be like, nope, we're going to drive. Like, no, we're not, not driving. It's a long drive. Just, just get on a plane. We can be there in a couple of hours, get off, get set up. Like we're here, we're able to not have people at the house for um, two extra days. We're able to save two to two days on the road. It's, you know, less exhausting. And, and, and so I'm like, no, we're going to fly. So it's always like this battle. It's like this whole, I'm just expecting it. And so the first time that I booked a flight for us to Tenley, he was horrible through TSA just horrible. He just complained and was just like, I mean, he just, he was just pulling around. I mean, he was so intense and so crappy and just like, this is, you know, blah, 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 blah. And going on and on and on and on and on. I'm like, can, can we just 
be quiet, okay? Because you're going to create, you're creating a scene, like don't say anything, just don't say anything. He keeps grumbling. Guess who gets pulled over at TSA? Not him, me. I get I get searched. I have all my stuff taken apart. I was like, ugh. So anyway, so that was my first experience with him flying. And ever since then, it's usually a battle. He just he just doesn't like flying. He doesn't like being uh-huh. off the ground. So, but every time we come back home, he's like, we need to do that next time because that's much better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's my it's um it's always a he gets really stressed out before he flies and <laughs> oh, I make fun guy. of him. <laughs> so yeah, it's of good. Of course. <laughs> yeah, let him live that down. You just can't. He just oh, no. I pick at him every chance I get. <laughs> Cause I mean, I get it, you know, like I mean, I grew up flying all the time. So I was, I frequently, when we went on vacation somewhere, it wasn't unusual for us to get on a plane. So it's something I've done my whole life for him. Obviously it hasn't. And so his, his flying experience has been pretty limited. Do you, do you, do you think he would um, freak out extra if it was an international flight or does it matter? Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. So no I mean, he's got, he's gotten used to the Tenley one now, you know, Tenley's only a couple hours, so it's not to go to Chicago is not a big deal, but I still, he, he still grumbles every time. So like, if we want to get him on a flight to maybe to the Ham show, or if we want to take him international herping, he's going to lose his mind. You know, we've talked about doing stuff like that, but <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he probably would for the experience, but yeah. Yeah. Like if, yeah, if, if, sure. we said, if we said, Hey, it's going to be Alan, Philippe, me, Roy, you and Ron. I mean, was he, what is he just not going to get on the plane? Come on. He's going to have mean, to. Right? If I buy the tickets, then, you know, it's kind of oh, like, yeah. it's got to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, yeah. it's got to happen. That's the move. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That's good to know for the future. Um, we just yeah. send the okay. invite to Heather and Heather will take care of the rest. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's funny because here's this guy that would, I would watch him with no, no, no hesitation at all to, to go in and, and handle somebody's, you know, crocodile monitor or whatever, one that he, an animal that he wasn't even familiar with and the stories of his childhood, some of the things that he's done as a child or, you know, I was sorry that he did it in his younger years. Um, And then I'm like, but you won't get on a plane. Like really? But yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be in, I'm going to, he's going to be like, oh, I can't believe you said that. We're all going to be in anyway. trouble. If we all disappear, yeah. then our listeners will know what happened. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, I feel like if Ron's not a little bit grumpy with me and what I, you know, like it's maybe like, I got to try a little harder, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So with that out of the way, I really wanted to touch on that just because, uh, yeah. He, hey, listen, he started it. He started it with, with the whole, when he, when he did the, um, his first show here on this, on this podcast, when he was like giving Alan grief about being the spoiled little rich boy, I was like, all right, right. game off, dude. It's, right. it's, it's time, <laughs> which, yep. was, which was amazing. And yeah. uh, I just love that. Uh, so Alan was also talking about doing like a combo show. So maybe it'll just actually, that have- would be, that would be very entertaining. Cause those two just yeah. absolutely just, yeah. 
We got it. Back and forth. It's awesome. I mean, it's all in good fun too, but it's just, it's hilarious. You know, they just really just rag on each other hard. It's funny. Right, right on. Well, again, I don't want to spend too much time on that. It was just like a fun yeah. little, little, yeah, just a little gag. story. Yeah, just a little thing. But um, one of the first questions I have for you is, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got your start in, in herpetoculture? And I, and I don't necessarily mean like as a business or anything. I mean like, has it been with you since you were a kid? Has it, it always been something yeah. that interested? Yeah. So yeah. So well, okay. So when when I was a little kid, I was I was the little girl that was like running through the woods, climbing trees, you know, catching things, bring them in the house. So my mom comes up to me one day and she she's talking to me, and that's what she used to do when she was a little girl. So she used to go romping around Texas and catching this, that, and the other. So um, and then let it go. And her father, my grandfather, actually made her a little critter keeper, a little wood and wire critter keeper. And so she gave that to me when I was little, when I was oh, probably oh. six or eight years old. So um, and so I've done things like I brought a king snake on the school bus one time because I wanted to let it go in a quiet place. We had this little thing called a, the quiet place at the elementary school I went to. And so it was supposed to be like a little refugee area, refuge area for animals. And we had like, you know, lots of different, you know, whatever. Anyway, I thought that was a good idea. The bus driver didn't. I got kicked off. So, I mean, you know, that's the extent of my um you know, I, I was catching and releasing, but I was really interested more so in, um, as I got older, I, I was gearing more towards marine biology, actually. But um, my my first husband, um, him and I got together when I was pretty young. I was in college. And, um, and so we got together. And at that point in time, it was kind of like, okay, we both couldn't afford to go to school. We couldn't afford to have both of us in school. We had to be, you know, somebody had to be making a living, this, that, and the other. And I actually had um, already been introduced to the jewelry industry and had been in it for a number of years. And so I started kind of climbing the ladder with that and getting into management and stuff. So um, by the time he graduated, I just, you know, I was making really good money. I liked my job. I had been doing it a long time. Um, you know, um, I was selling high-end jewelry and um, and I enjoyed it. So um there was a lot of hours though involved. I worked a lot of hours, um, you know, 70 hours a week, a lot of times. Um, so, but, you know, things change and things happen and, and, um, we ended up getting a divorce and, um, the next individual that came up and kind of unfortunately told me what I wanted to hear, which wasn't good. You know, we all have those little like rebound relationships. Anyway, he wasn't the best person in the world. Um, he wasn't a good person. He couldn't hold down a job and he was manipulative. Um, literally by the end of it all, I had to start completely over with my life. I mean, I literally everything was burned to the ground and I had to start again. So, but when I would, when I would be at work and I was still in the drawer industry, um, he decided that he wanted to, I had bought him a scorpion and then I bought him a ball python. Um, anyway, then he got the bug and he was like, oh, I can buy and resell animals and I can go to these shows. So he formed a business and used my credit card and started going down south all the time and you know, visiting Strictly and all the others. And I would come home and there would be all of these, whatever you could get in an importer. And so 
yeah, it was it was um, it was a crash course for me because although I enjoyed playing with all of the critters when I was little, I had not continued that. You know, I wasn't a lifer, so um, it was me staying up long hours and figuring out. Okay, let's figure out this species. What does it need to 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 be healthy? What do I need to do for it? Do I need to deworm it? How do I need to take care of it? So I was just getting a crash course and like all you know, all of these reptile species. So, um, and setting them upright because that wasn't really his thing. So his thing was, well, he was, he ended up, he was pretty much a, he was not a good person. He was, he was somewhat of a scammer. Um, so anyway, um, one day my dad and my brother-in-law came, you know, I said, I've had enough and they came with a U-Haul and I packed up all my son's things. I packed up my animals um, and I left and I started over again pretty much. So I didn't actually form fairy tale, although I was breeding for several years dragons. Cause I've, I liked, I liked the frill. So for most of the stuff that he was bringing in, the stuff that I really enjoyed was the frill dragons, the aromastics and the bearded dragons. Those were the ones that I liked um, my affordability and, and what I could do. You know, I wanted to do it right. I didn't, always like what I saw that came in from various sources. Um, sometimes the animals were great. Sometimes they weren't, but you know, if I, if I sell something, whether it was in the jewelry industry or whether it's in, you know, selling reptiles or whatever, I have to believe in it. I have to enjoy it. I have to know that it's the animal is good. You know what I'm saying? So I, I can't sell something that I don't firmly have um, faith in. So, so anyway, I wanted to, get my own dragons and and grow them up and kind of start out that way so that I wasn't having to rely on anybody else or, or bring it in from anywhere else and question whether it was healthy or not, or this, that, any other. So I bought babies and grew them up myself. So, um, so I started on that process and, um, you know, when the day came for me to pick up and move, I took my, I took my animals with me and, um, and then after everything was done, I, I formed fairy tale in 2009. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I ended up. And for a long time, um, I worked full time and, and red dragons. So I did that until 2017, I did mm-hmm. both. So I kept employment and this on the side this was you know i would work all week and then on the weekends i would do the expos um so so i did both for for quite a few years um but uh yeah so um so yeah when i met um you know i have a a daughter too i have a son that's almost 25 and then my daughter just turned 11 um her dad was not the jerk just so you know (laughs) so um that was my third marriage um Anyway, but, um, but, um, but yeah, so, so both of my kids have grown up around dragons, both of my, and then my daughter has been exposed to far more, uh, than my son. So, I mean, I kept some additional species, but for them, when my son was younger, um, well, I mean, obviously when, when I was with my second husband, but there was quite a bit in the house, but as far as what I was breeding and stuff, I didn't really start messing with other species until later, but you can't though, either. You can only spread yourself so thin. So, you know, you have kids right. and you have, you know, a, a you know, a full-time job, and then you also have a little side business and, and it keeps you going. It keeps you busy, keeps you really busy. 
So right. So what what was the moment, or was there a specific moment, or was it gradual when you when you realized like, oh, I could do just this? You know, it's like I could just do the reptiles. Or had that always been kind of a goal, or 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 did it, it, it? You know, how did all that come about for you? It was always a goal, but it but it is difficult. And anybody that is starting out, you know, anybody that really starts out in this industry is doing something else already, you know. And this is kind of a side hobby for them. So, and it's it's scary to go from it's it's quite a step to say, okay, I'm going to take this from part-time where I can only do so much into full-time. I mean, you have to rely upon yourself for everything. So I'm not getting a weekly check from an employer. I'm not getting, nobody's paying my health insurance. Nobody's, you know what I'm saying? That's all on me. So, you know, that takes, um, that's not something that I certainly had any interest in doing early um, because I wanted to have contacts. Uh, I wanted to be known within the industry, have a reputation as is so that, so that when you have the ups and downs of the industry that come um, that I'm able, you know, that I'm better in a better position. I mean, stuff can happen to anybody, but I'm in a better position to kind of handle those waves a little bit. So, I mean, I started off really slow when I started breeding the dragons. um, I had, probably six or seven adults at that time that I'd grown up, but I only did one pair my first season because I wanted mm. to get the experience. I wanted to get my feet wet and kind of figure out, cause you can read all kinds of stuff, but, and you learn as much as you possibly can. You research um, as much as you possibly can, but to get the hands-on experience, I didn't want, I knew that I didn't want to be overwhelmed with 300 animals that'll be mouths to feed and trying to figure stuff out, you know? So, um, because obviously dragons are very prolific and they produce, you know, there's, you, you do one pairing and you can get quite a few. So, so I wanted to be really responsible with that. Um, and, and I wanted that to not be a burden on me, but a joy, you know, an experience that I could enjoy and learn from. So, so that's what I did. So the first year I only paired up one pair, the second year and the third year, I only did three pairs. And then my fourth year, I did, I went up to um, five pairs and just kind of like ramped up from there. So, you know, it was kind of a, it was a slower process, but um, I got really comfortable with it. Very efficient. Um, I knew what I was doing before I got in over my head, you know, um, you know, pet stores knew that I had a quality animal, that they were healthy and that I took care of them, you know, started getting known at some of the shows and stuff. So. I just yeah. feel like for anybody starting out, um, that that's a really good way to go. Yeah, it's a lot it's more comfortable. <laughs> it's a much more comfortable ride. And so, um, and, and you can get your feet wet and you can decide, do I really, really love this? Do I really like this? Or is it just okay? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I really, really liked it, obviously. So I stuck with it. <laughs> that's a necessity. You got to like it, right? You have to love it. Yeah. And, and as particularly, uh, and now obviously I've worked with a lot of different species. Um, and they, the dragons are by far the most labor intensive mm-hmm. by far. Mm. They're very labor intensive. They're very expensive to produce. You have to have a lot of space. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are very time consuming. Yeah. 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 A lot That's, of mouths to feed too. Yeah. They've got big appetites. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. Yep. And you don't have like the crested geckos, you know, I'll have like four or five, you know, hatch out in a week. The bearded dragons, it's like, fellow, (laughs) you know, you can get 30 in one clutch. So, 
Oh yeah. 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 So totally, I totally different with dragons. And I remember sometimes I would get 34 from 30 eggs because I'd have a couple twins in there, you know, and I'd just be like, oh, okay, <laughs> even more. It's their amazingly um feckoned little lizards, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I this is kind of a totally left field question, but I'm kind of curious. Um was there anything that you took kind of from your your time in the jewelry industry that that yeah. was helpful in coming oh, yeah, into for sure. the customer service? Industry? Yeah, customer okay. service, uh, big time. Yeah, yeah. I, I wondered customer about customer service, how to relate to people, you know, how to how to interact with people. Um, so in the jewelry industry, so that one of the things that I love about this industry is. We, I literally wait, I, I assist people from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. Our industry attracts everyone. So f- from everywhere. I mean, I, it's amazing to me. I love that because I get to meet a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds from a lot of different places, from a lot of different cultures, from a lot of different idea sets. And I really enjoy that. So, and, and I, and I love that part of it. Um, in the jewelry industry, obviously, my clientele would be their income levels would be, you know, middle class and up type of and a higher income level. Um, so, but it was still an incredible experience to meet different personalities and 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 see how people interact with each other. And I had quite a few. I had a not quite a few, but I mean, I had a decent number of employees too. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. trying to get everybody to kind of get along and, and, um, you know, work out their differences and, and understand that, you know, that, that, that everybody's on the same team and that we're not always going to see eye to eye and that differences are okay. That's, you mm-hmm. know, where a lot of growth can come from and stuff like that. So, so yeah. So the, the 20 years that I spent in jewelry was, was really, um, was very, um, helpful for me in that regard um for the people's skills so because i'm an introvert i'm a hardcore introvert so when i get in my zone like when i'm at one of the shows i'm okay because that's that's my happy place and i'm okay with that um when i'm speaking to somebody one-on-one i'm okay with that so um the podcasts and things like that. I'm not going to lie. They terrify me, but uh, you know, I'm just not used to that yet, but that's from a lack of experience. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. when you don't have the experience, the more experience you have in something, the more you get comfortable with it. So, um, but, but anyway, so I'm kind of talking all over the board, but, but yeah, I definitely learned a lot from the joint industry. And it was kind of funny because some of my clients that were um, like some of my regulars, they would be like, they would ask to see the dragons and and ask to see, and they were like, you do, you do what again? And so when I first started in this, um, you know, keeping in mind, it was before like fairy tale started in 2009, but I had been breeding for a number of years prior to that. And, um, so anyway, they were like, show me pictures. And they're like, oh, and they're like, what is that again? And so Audemars Piguet, which is a watch brand, um, Mm -hmm. they did an ad campaign with um bearded dragons and i think that was in like 2009 or 2010 yeah. and i was like ha see you know <laughs> like you press like this is what <laughs> so it was really cool like to me it was very cool um but um but yeah it was it was interesting because you know going to the going to the grocery store back then and picking up greens and stuff versus now and the cashier saying 
what are you doing with all this? Yeah. And then them saying, what? <laughs> yeah. What? They're like, what do you, ew, you know, like their response yeah. would be like repulsive or they had no idea what a bearded dragon was, or they were like, totally just like, they didn't know what to say. They didn't know whether to be grossed out, whether they should take my money or not. I mean, they were just like, some of them were very uncomfortable. They were either fascinated or uncomfortable. Um, so it was pretty rare that somebody would be like, oh my God, I know what they are. Da, 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 da. And, and think about it. When you really think about it, it wasn't that long ago. And mm-hmm. nowadays, yeah. then everybody's like, oh my gosh, I have one. My cousin has one. I know you. My aunt bought one yeah. from you. Or, you know, so it's really funny to see the changes. Yeah. I mean, reptiles have, have really become very accepted within the mainstream nowadays. So back then, you know, kids that were buying a dragon from me had done, you know, had begged the parents for three years and had done a ridiculous amount of research and, you know, up and down the other and 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 we're fully prepared for the most part. There's only a few mm-hmm. questions that, you know, obviously I would kind of help them with initially. Um, but but they really had had gone in deep and done the studies. And then nowadays I still get that, but then I also get some people where, you know, kind of like, okay, well, yeah. let's talk about this. You know, yeah. have you done your homework on this? Do you know what this entails? Do you know what kind of care we're looking at? Do you know? Yeah. So it's interesting oh, to see that's... the the evolution of all this. So yeah, that's fascinating. I I would not have even thought to think about like the way your clientele have have changed over the years. Like that 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 never would have crossed my mind at all. But that's crazy. Yeah, and and like I say, I mean, I still have like you know the the hardcore little kid that's like the next. In fact, oh, right yeah. now I'm actually so I don't I don't you know I don't um I don't typically board any animals because obviously that puts my colony at risk and so on and Mm -hmm. so forth. So, um, and I don't, I don't have the space for it and I just, you know, I don't feel comfortable with it. Um, but I'll recommend places and so on and so forth. Well, so I'll tell you one client story. So I had this little girl who would catch to Christmas before last. So that would have been 2021. Her mom had contacted me and her daughter, they had moved here from Alabama and her daughter catches everything in the yard, like all the anoles. She's bringing snakes inside. Like she's just mm-hmm. hardcore, you know? I love it. Anyway, they were, uh, she really, really wanted a bearded dragon. So we had long conversations about dragons, what it entailed, what the responsibilities were, you know? So anyway, she selected a dragon. His name is Figment. So they're moving now. Um, they, he had, her father had a change of work. Um, and so they're moving to Arizona, but they're actually state, they're having to stay here. Mom with the two kids is staying here, um, for five weeks and they have a cat and their hotel room that they had to stay in because their house closed. It sold much faster than anticipated, which is great. Um, was supposed to have like a door on the bathroom and it doesn't. And anyway, she, mom was like in tears. I have figment right now. (laughs) Uh-huh. So, so <laughs> that's Figment awesome. Is, you know, the, is the yeah, Figment's in my is in my living room right now. But it's really cool though because, and that is one of my favorite things about this industry is the relationships. I have met so many people, like I said, from that do. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I have so many friends that, if not for this industry, 
I never would have met them, you know, yeah. and, and all of these wonderful people out there and all of these moms that have become, I've become friends with over the years and, and the kids that grow, yeah. I watch their kids grow up and, and, you know, and get their second, you know, third dragon from me over the years. I mean, it's really cool. It's, it's, you become a part of their life. Like you become mm -hmm. uh, a memory, you know, you become part of an, of events for them, of events of their childhood. And I don't yeah. think, um, I don't think some, I, sometimes people don't really think about that. I think, you know, the impact that yeah. we have. So, and you yeah. want it, you want it yeah. to be a good one. You want it to, the, you want that memory to be a good one. You know, when I get the films and I get the videos from the kids and, and seeing that and, and having the kids contact me over the years, Miss Heather, I have a question. I'm like, okay, you know, what you got going on? Tell me about it. You know, what's going on? Well, he's doing X, Y, Z or she didn't da, 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 da. I'm like, okay that's cool. Like let's work through this. And, mm -hmm. you know, I ask a series of questions and, you know, and we figure out what's going on. So, but, um, but it's pretty, it's, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's an, it's, uh, I'm, it, I don't know how to, it's an, it's an amazing feeling to, to realize that you have had such an, it's, you've had an impact on others' mm -hmm. lives, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. So, um, because for a lot of yeah. a lot of people, this is their first pet. It's kind of like the entry doorway, you know. The, the bearded dragons are kind of an entry point. So yeah. I work with yeah. uh, obviously the other stuff now, and I love them. Um, but um, and everybody's like, "Are you going to stop breeding dragons?" I'm like, "Nope, they'll be mm -hmm. with me for you know ever and always." I mean, I may get to where I only have five pair, but I'll always have them because I have a special attachment to them, and. Um, and the relationships that I built through, you know, because of them have been incredible. And, um, and they helped me through horrible times when I was going through, like I said, that, that second marriage was absolutely horrible. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I lost everything, uh, they were important enough for me to not lose them. And I took them with me. And, and so all those long hours of scrubbing and cleaning and, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of, you know, yeah. gave me the ability to just kind of like work through all of that pile of, stuff so yeah yeah that makes so much sense yeah really... that's uh, can i go no 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 you go, okay. <laughs> go, go. i was just gonna say um yeah i mean it makes so much sense to me like like one thing that's always stood out to me from you know i've heard you on a couple podcasts in the past and also just like looking through your social media and stuff it's just your your um customer commitment you know and just like the way you follow through and i think that that's I'm sad to say that stands out as kind of unique in herpetoculture. And it really, it's, I like that it also kind of dovetails with the jewelry industry thing and the customer service background. And that's actually something that we have in common. Like I grew up in the jewelry industry. My dad's a goldsmith and. Oh, really? I grew up, yeah. I grew up in an, an estate jewelry store and still. Oh, you still know what? I think there. I actually did hear that. on the podcast. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 And yeah. so I still do that a little bit here and there. And, um, I totally, I, so I totally get what you mean about just like the regular well, customers and, and like those relationships you get and it's intimate. Yeah. And yeah. And, and in the industry, in the jewelry industry, there is a personal commitment. There's a connection because totally, you're part yeah. of a memory. So you're, yeah. you're part of that engagement or that wedding or, exactly. you know, the birth of a baby or an anniversary. I mean, they're usually jewelry. There's usually an event attached mm -hmm. to it. And so I'm covered in goosebumps right now. Cause then when you, when you go into like, you know, herpetoculture and you're going into like yeah. the child's first pet and their first experience. Um, you know, I mean, it's, 
it's so cool to get these like videos, you know, on a birthday yeah. and, and the kid has no idea or to meet them and, um, you know, meet them to the locals that I meet up with to pick to, to a dragon pickup and the excitement on their faces. And even adults, you know, like I'm a kid too. I mean, I'm 50 years old, but I still consider mm-hmm. myself a kid and I get excited too. I mean, sometimes when I get a box in, I'm like, you know, um, so, so yeah, it's, it's an awesome, it's an emotional business. It's an, it's a business yeah. of emotions. It's not just, um, it's not just about, um, you know, it's not just about the animal too. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of human emotions that you're dealing with. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a, so true. Yeah. I don't think I would have fully made that connection on my own without this, you know, this, this conversation, yeah. but it's, it's so true. I totally I totally get that. It's the same thing, you know, when you're, you get, you, you know, you, you, you shepherd someone through the process of selecting an engagement ring, you know, and then like mm-hmm. you get the, the text, you know, a week later and they're like, she said, yes, you know, and exactly, like exactly. Totally you know, thing. and then you yeah. just see them come in like five years or three years later with their first baby and, you know, yeah, you oh, see yeah. them like you so watch wild. it. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just an amazing thing. So I, I love that. And, um, so cool. and so that's very important to me. So, and, and with that though, you know, especially in, in our industry, it can be really difficult too. It's challenging because mm-hmm. especially with social media, um, I handled it all fine for social media, but with social media, everybody has access to you or thinks they have access to you, um, at all times. And that makes it really tough because you have to balance like, your personal life, your, you know, you, you have to, you have to balance, make sure that your animals are cared for, that your family is cared for, that, you know, for me, that my daughter's homework is done. Um, you have to service first and foremost, in my opinion, and what I've always done is take care of my clients that have already purchased from me. If they have a care mm-hmm. question to me, that's the most important thing. It's the, after mm-hmm. this, you know, after they've gone home with the new pet is making sure that, um, that, you devote your time to them. So, and make sure that, that everything is, you know, if they have a question that you're there to bullet point, you know, to, to target and figure out what's going on and, and to help them through that, or we need to do this, we need to do that. Anyway, um, I think that's incredibly important, but we all, at the end of the day, I mean, we, we all have the same amount of time and that time runs out and we have to divide our time appropriately. So I think finding the thing that I struggle with and I, I, I still really haven't come up with a really viable solution because, you know, somebody, most people understand, but a lot of people don't is how do you, how do you like balancing all that is tough. Like balancing all that is really tough. So like I intentionally, for example, during the height of season, I'll still only list five to eight dragons a week up online. That's it. I don't care if I could sell 30 of them. I only sell five to eight. Mm-hmm. The reason why I do that is because I know that I can devote the time to those five to eight people that are going to need extra assistance like the first week and then for the first couple of weeks that they have it and that I could respond to them via text, you know, because I have all of my clients, which Ron yells at me about, they have my cell number so that they can <laughs> text me. He's like, I don't know why you do that. Um, but this is why I do that. Um so that they can send me a text and ask me, you know, 
questions. You know, if it's an emergency, I get right back to them. If it's, you know, whatever, then, but, and I always tell them, I'm like, look, sometimes my phone goes ding, 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 ding. You know, we all get solicitation and everything else. I'm like, if I accidentally miss you for some reason, if I don't respond to you within like, you know, a few hours, you know, 12 hours, whatever, if it's an emergency, an hour, just say hi. So you bump you back up. So I make sure I see it and I can get to you. Cause sometimes it's just like, you know, I open it up and then the phone rings or my daughter says something. Something is like squirrel, you know, and then you go yeah. off and then you don't mean to, but you forget, you know. So, but to that person, you know, you want to make sure that they know, hey, it's okay to just say, hey. Um, so, so I've got that, I, I figured that part out really well. And I, and I feel like I have really good balance in that. The problem that I have is um, like emails are emails, you know, on the front end can be pretty intense and they, and so finding balance with that can be a little bit challenging. Um, and, and that's where I, you know, we all have our like superpowers in the areas that were great and the areas that we struggle a little bit. That for me is a little bit of a struggle because, um, sometimes, you know, you have to filter out, uh, the spam. Um, you have to fit, you have to filter out a lot and you know what I mean? You have to filter out a lot. So, um, and sometimes people are asking you 30 questions, which in a response, like I want to give them a response, but you end up with literally a book, like responding. <laughs> it's like, um, why don't you just call me? So, but anyway, so I do struggle with a little bit with that, but that's, but that's why I limit my retail. Um, so to try to keep that under control. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I can, I can very much relate to everything <laughs> It, it gets over it gets overwhelming. You know, with the social media thing, I mean, it's been like everything is everything in life ha- is has its blessings and its curses, you know, everything has and it's and it's all trying to keep it in balance. And and I love what social media has done because it's it's um, you know, really connected us and and there's a lot more information out there and stuff like that, but but with social media some things aren't so great that have come with it. Um and sometimes, you know, people have, like, I love to be available to people to help people. But I mean, like I said, I'm one person. So that's always kind of interesting trying to find that balance too. When, when somebody's asking you questions and, um, with new keepers and, and people that are, um, pet keepers and stuff, then, you know, I'll spend a ridiculous amount of time on the phone with them or, or in text, um, for breeders. Um, I do spend, time with them but mm-hmm. i can't spend time with all of them and i kind of expect you to do some of the work yourself like i did yeah. <laughs> so i'm yeah. not there to to fill in all the blanks for you because you saw um my social media page and we've never spoken before like i i want to help i want to help everybody but i mean there's a lot of information out there if you ask me an intelligent question then of course i'm going to answer it but if you ask me something that is like basic that you should know as a keeper before a breeder those end up going a little bit more, you know, those end up kind of, I guess you could say back burner. Like, I don't know. I hate saying that, but yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I mean, oh, yeah. I, we, oh, yeah. we just, I mean, everybody has, we all, we all have to be to, to find balance and, and that can get tough. And, and I don't like disappointing people. So I always hate that part, but that's just kind of the, right. that's the negative on it. But. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things where um and again i've i've not been doing this as, as long as you have and i don't have the same sort of scope of, of customer base that you do but, but i have 
it's a real struggle sometimes to, like you're saying, to strike that balance between, okay, look, you, I can't be, I'm not Google. You know what I mean? Like right. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not Google. You can, you can do yeah. and it's going to be a mastics Google. Yeah. And if you yeah, find no. something on Google and you want click, cause Google's not always right. We all know that. But I mean, yeah. if you need clarification right. on something, say, Hey, you know, this is the research yeah. I've done. This is, you know, not, you know, my girl is gravid. What do I do? Yeah. 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 Right. Right. I get that. I get that weekly. Like I get that so much and I just want to pull my hair out. I'm like, she's gravid and you don't know what to do. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? And if I don't respond, Mm -hmm. then I'm rude. But Mm -hmm. does that, that comes at the cost of me not, you know, making sure that my daughter has dinner on the table that, you know, that, that we're not able to spend quality time together, you Mm -hmm. know, that my daughter is going to grow up and I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, but I was trying to help somebody who, you know, wouldn't do anything to help themselves. Like, I'm not trying to be rude, but I mean, that's, that's the reality of it, you know? So you try to strike balance and, um, and, and that can be, that can be a little tough. Well, yeah. And yeah, totally. And there's also this other phenomenon too, which is, um, you know, people will suggest things and I'm sure people have suggested this sort of thing to you. It's like, Oh, you should, you should make a YouTube channel where you have all the answers to all the questions that you get. And it's like, okay, I have something to that effect, right? Like I've got a YouTube channel. I've got my gram where I post a bunch of crap. I got a Patreon. I got care guides. I like, I put as much content out as I can. And I still get questions from people who just disregard all of that available information. And they'll say, Hey, you know, you know, they ask me one of those questions that you're talking about, which is like a, it's like, I'm not here. That's not what I am. Here's a, here's a, I have a link. Right. It has all of my stuff in it. You, you will find the answer to your question there. And then people will either ask another question on top of that after looking through, finding the answer to their question, and then asking something different that was also in the care guide, or they will just totally disregard and be like, well, can't you just type it for me? I just asked you. And it's like, well, (laughs) sorry, dude. Like I'm not, that's what I'm here for. Like I'm a person, I'm not a bot. Yeah. So I I had a, yeah. And and that took me with, with social media coming into play and and with me being around as long as I have, um, it took me a while to, to, cause I'm a perfectionist. Um, Mm -hmm. and it took me a while to be okay with having, you know, some people maybe being upset with me because their expectations of me are unreasonable. Um, yeah. You know, that's just, it's just yeah. one of those things. So right. the information's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, so, and yeah, I've had people do so. Why don't you do a YouTube? Cause I'm an introvert. I don't do YouTube. <laughs> 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 I, I work oh, with the animals. Is, that's why I work with the animals. This is yes. the battle so, that yeah. I'm constantly facing. Too. I like the one-on-one. <laughs> What's that? Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, I can't like, I, I, I have ambition to do it. And then I'm just, it's just so unnatural for me, you know? I'm exactly. A, yeah. It doesn't come so easy for me at all. Uh, yeah. It, this is, this is enough of a stretch for me, you know, being a podcast co-host and I can only do it because Phil is so outgoing and I can just oh. go into times. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no way, dude. Like your, your, your hat jacket combination makes the show. I'm in a, <laughs> I'm in a, I'm in a jujitsu hoodie in my bedroom. You're in like this professional hat, Coke <laughs> with your sick terrariums in the back. You're the one putting a professional face on this. I'm just loud. 
I got to do something to make okay, it work. So. <laughs> uh, What's well, that? Thanks for. I got to make. I got to do something to make up for the quietness. Oh, <laughs> whatever. <Yeah. laughs> um. Okay, so there's some stuff in there that I'd like to kind of dive into a little bit more because one of the things that I've admired about the work you do for so long is the the perfectionism that you just talked about. And I feel like uh, 80% of what I comment on your Instagram is like, damn, that's like the best looking drag. Like, And I'm not talking about their color, right? Because their color is always amazing with everything right. you post. But I'm just like, damn, that's like the sickest head structure. Oh, damn, that's like the coolest body shape I've ever seen on a dragon. So mm-hmm. like you, you have such a strong dedication to the craft. And this is the, one of the reasons I want to break this apart more and talk about and ask about like your motivations and your influences and your inspirations in that regard is because um, I feel like what you're doing is like setting an example for all of herpetoculture in terms of like what people can strive towards trying to do because there are so many people like the uh like the ex of yours that you mentioned who were like scammers or like near scammers right right who people who who you know i i i have a few of those people that come to mind right now who i who i know are out there doing their thing you know selling animals that have problems um, just trying to, you know, flipping animals just because they got to get that next, you know, they can mark a hundred bucks right. because they've been in the industry for 20 years and the other person, you know, doesn't know what they have or, you know, you name right. it. Right. And, and I feel like um, part of wh- why, one of the reasons why we want to have you on the show is because you're out there setting such a phenomenal example in that regard. So, um, and I may have to I mean, I know I'm probably asking too many questions in one bundle because that's kind of what I tend to do. But like, I never noticed. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, that's nice because <laughs> I do it a lot. <laughs> but uh, oh, I noticed uh, I was being sarcastic. Anyway, roasted. But no, it was good. That was that got me. But um, so what were there influences or inspirations that you can point to? Uh, you know, I know you mentioned the, the jewelry, jewelry industry, but were there other herpetoculturists that motivated you in that regard? And then, um, yeah, maybe. Start so, <laughs> so I'm going to say, and I know this is unusual, probably a response. If you ask this question kind of across the board, my answer to that, my honest answer to that is honestly, no. Um, my drive and my inspiration from everything is I mean my my family I have a very tight family so um and and when I was growing up you know my parents were very um my father was was pretty strict um but he did it for a reason because he wanted his girls to be successful he didn't want us to you know to suffer or anything like that but he was strict um but but he really instilled in us a work ethic and to always do your best and uh, to always, you know, do the best that you possibly can and put your best out there. And, and so that that's pretty much where my drive comes from. Um, and that's so I really haven't followed any lead um, person. I mean, there's a lot of people in the industry that I love and that I respect, but I mean, I really haven't followed the industry for any leads on any of that. That's just kind of through my own experiences, through how I was raised and, and, um, and, and, and then also like what I do, it's really, really important to me. Like I'm super 
you know, I'm, I'm very, um, I can be very much of a perfectionist because I don't ever want anything to go wrong. Like I told Ron a long time ago and we were talking about this subject and he was like, tell me why da, 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 da. And so I said, for me, it's when I, when I list a dragon, for example, for sale, you know, for, for, um, to be sold, I don't know where that animal is going. You know, when I initially list it, where is it going? Is it going to somebody that has, 10 years experience? Is it going to go to a breeder? Is it going to a kid that's been researching for three years and saving all their money? And this is their first pet, you know? So I want that animal to be in the best possible shape possible to live as long as they possibly can and to have the best start possible um, before it goes from my hands into theirs, because I absolutely would crush me to be, to feel responsible, um, to feel to, to have anything happen that was a result of something that I did that bothers me. I, I can't, um, that that's, that's why I really, you know, that's why I really try to make sure that everything that I'm doing is spot on and that I'm not being irresponsible with my pairings and that I'm not listing things that shouldn't be listed and things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. You know, because that kid, I mean, that's an important animal to that kid. You know, 40 years from now, that kid's still going to remember their first bearded dragon. You know, they're still going to remember their first reptile pet. I want that experience to be a positive one, not to be a negative one. I want that experience to have gone well where they had, you know, the guidance that they needed, that they had, you know, somebody who's willing to chat with them after they, you know, spent 100, you know, because I mean, my dragons, like a lot of them will sell for 125 or $150. And, and I have spent sometimes, you know, upwards of five, six, seven, eight hours with people, but, and that's okay if it's for the right reasons, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, so I just, I want that animal to have the best head, head start possible so that it can, go somewhere else and thrive, you know, right out of the box, be okay. And that I don't have to worry so much. So, yeah. Wow. That's great. That's so cool because I, you know, I, I feel like, um, that not only that's, that's so many good examples, right? So it's setting an example for the, the, for the, the young people who you're, you're sort of stewarding into herpetoculture. It sets an example to show like how, well someone can operate in the space and why all these other shysters who are like fucking off and and doing terrible shit with their animals and treating their customers terribly like why they're not going to be able to get away with that for any you know for a lot longer right, right. it sets a great it sets a great example to um non-herpeticulturists like people who aren't in the trade because they can see you know the, the first glimpse they're going to get if they see what you're doing is going to be like oh wow this is like this is someone who takes what they're doing very seriously and works their ass off to really like take it to the next level and like do, do the right thing. I mean, that's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's fantastic. Like I'm psyched that you're out there doing it. Um, so, uh, with some, some of that is sort of like the, the background. Um, there's a, a term you've used, uh, a few times that is something that maybe it's like a little unfamiliar to me and that's confirmation, conformation, conformation. Um, yeah. 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 So can you like elaborate on what that means and then like how it applies to, uh, to the dragons? So, yeah. So like in the dog and, you know, for dog breeders and stuff, they mm -hmm. talk about confirmation more, um, you know, when they're going through like competitions and so on and so forth, but, um, how the animal is structured, 
So how the animal is structured to me is very important. Um, you can pick up early signs of inbreeding depression. You can pick up all kinds of things if you're, if you're kind of aware of that and you're looking for that. Um, but to me, I, I have a tendency to pick that out before anything else. So I will um, go for an animal that I feel is well-balanced and has nice structure, a nice head structure, you know, um, nice body shape, um, doesn't have any pinching at the ribs and things like that. Um, I'd rather select my holdbacks with less color than maybe one that had more color that I noticed some things that bothered me. So, um, that's, that kind of just goes into like, you know, the longevity of your projects too. So I think a lot of times, um, those that are less experienced or maybe they don't care, I don't know, you know, maybe both. Um, I think oftentimes it's just a lack of experience, um, that they select animals for the wrong reasons. So they'll select an animal based on color only without factoring in anything else. And so, you know, you end up taking um, aspects of an animal and, and pushing that further down the line. So the body types get shorter and shorter and shorter, or, you know, the heads get smaller and smaller and smaller, or you're continuously yeah. passing on a massive underbite or overbite. So structurally, it's just not, I don't know. It's just, it's part of the balance. You know, it's, it's, this, there should be balance. And, and, you know, I look at an animal and I'm like, nope, <laughs> you know, like that doesn't look balanced to me. Like I see some of the stuff, um, you know, obviously scrolling on Instagram or whatever. I mean, I see some breeders doing some amazing stuff and they're doing great work. And then I see others and I'm like, you know, like, you know, you see a clutch of babies and you're like, that's not hitting it. You know, that's, I wish you'd go back to the drawing board on that. And, and oftentimes they don't even see it. They don't even realize what they've got in front of them um, and what's wrong. And, and so sometimes I, I used to kind of want to, like I would like there's like little tagging at me like oh just reach out and say something and just say hey but that can be well received but it can also be poorly received um depending yeah. upon <laughs> depending upon the person's you know where they are in their head um and I I just yeah I, I've just figured over time it's best not to if somebody messages me and they say hey can you give me your opinion on this clutch what do you think about it um then I'll give them my honest opinion, whether it be that it's fantastic or, you know, it's, we've, we've got this going on and this going on and this is what I see, but I don't, I don't reach out to anybody because that's not my job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to police anybody. I'm not going to police the industry. I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities, but I'm not going to go out and yeah. wag my finger or anything else. Is so um, with the, uh, the the sort of um, visual appearance that you're looking for in a lot of the mm -hmm. animals is this informed by um, like observing uh, like wild examples um, uh, you know of their counterparts in the wild or is it also inform um, is it just that or is it also informed by personal preference like how does that how does that fit in? 
Uh, wild animals that I see, you know, I definitely keep an eye on all of those that are posting, uh, you know, those that are out in the wild. I always find those posts so fascinating, especially for me because I breed outdoors. Um, and then, and then obviously, I mean, some of it's going to be personal preference as well. I mean, some of that is honestly going to have, is going to play a role. You can't say that it's not even those that say, Oh no, that doesn't play bullshit <laughs> you know that's definitely mm-hmm. going to play a role um so yeah. yeah it's just it's also a personal i'm i look for things that are very balanced and symmetrical and just you know and um i i can't really describe it it's just something that i've done for so long that i'm like okay yeah i really like this and i don't care for that you know this bothers mm-hmm. me that doesn't bother me so it's just uh, i guess i just have developed an eye for it over the years um now when also selecting for holdbacks or whether, you know, I'm going to continue with the pairing, you know, so on and so forth with the bloodline or whatever. Um, then I'm looking for a lot of different things. I'm looking for hatch. I'm looking for how girl, how well did the girl lay? Did she have, did she even look like, you know, like I had a girl lay the other day. Well, the girls, I had several girls go the other day and they don't even look like they laid like they didn't. Yeah. They're just right back on target. They're not drained. They're not, I mean, they're in great shape. Now, a lot of that has to do with the care that's provided, but some of it also has to do with just the general health of the animal um, and the bloodline and this, that, and the other. And so, I mean, they bounce right back. So I'm looking for my girls to bounce right back for them to not skip a beat and not even look like they laid, you know, um, I'm looking for, um, you know, pretty much consistency in the number of eggs that they produce with each clutch. I'm looking for a hundred percent hatch rate or close to as possible. I mean, every now and then you can have a bad egg, but, um, and so, um, I'm looking for when they hatch out are all the, are all the dragons pretty uniform in shape and structure or are they all over the map? Um, and that's goes into the whole confirmation thing. Um, so are they pretty similar in size? Are they teeny tiny out of the egg or are they good size out of the egg? Um, how do they eat? Do they eat pretty soon? I mean, some of them will, some of them come out of the egg and they pretty much, some of my bloodlines come out of the egg, like pretty much wanting to eat like right away. And then I have others that take a few days, which is no big deal. As long as once they get going, they're, they're pretty, I like to see um, pretty even growth rate throughout the the clutch, um, which sometimes you're talking about, you know, 30, 32, 34 babies. So do we have, you know, a pretty even growth rate or are we like all over the map? So I don't like to see that all over the map at all. Um, And so, and and I will, and so that's, I'll select for holdbacks from groups that I, that, that I have that, you know, that provide that for me. That's yeah, that's awesome. So, so within that, how, how are you, so you said that sometimes it might be, you might just get a bad egg here and there. And then sometimes it might be a result of like a, like a care flaw or um, some sort some sort of like issue in the way that, um, you know, the, the animal has been cared for and experienced or something like that. Um, what ways are you using to tell whether it's like, ah, this is something that I can like, that I know is going to be like a more like genetic, something that I can select for. And when, when do you know that it's like, Hmm, maybe I need to tweak something in what I'm doing to change this. Um, I I hope that question makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I get what you're saying. So for example, I mean, I pretty much have worked out all the, I've been doing this for so long. It's kind of an autopilot for me, but, um, like, for example, if you notice when I post photos of my eggs, Okay. You, you typically will see them. They're all white. They're solid white. 
and you know this from your, you know what I'm saying? They're all, I mean, they may have a little bit of dirt on them or something like that, but there's not any windowing. There's not decalcification. Like they, she had ample calcium to produce those eggs. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that makes a huge difference in the health of the baby. That makes a huge difference in the health of the clutch. So providing proper calcium. So that's one of the big things that I think a lot of people, um, don't realize, fail on, I don't know. Um, but they don't provide proper nutrition for their animals that are going to be producing. And as a result, the babies suffer like before they're even out of the egg. So making sure that the eggs are well calcified and things like that, um, are incredibly important. Um, making sure that the female is getting the nutrition that she needs while she's gravid. Um, so that makes a big difference. I kind of got a little bit sidetracked in that, but um, so so one thing. So kind of going back a little bit, if I have a girl that is, she'll produce like three eggs, you know, on one clutch, and then she pairs up again and she produces five eggs or something like that. That's not a pairing that I really want to move forward with in a bearded dragon, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So so um, you know. So I look for things like that. I'm looking for, um, you know, sometimes you just have a, a, a infertile clutch, you know, or, you know, your timing was off on pairing them up or whatever. I mean, that's not her problem. But when she lays the eggs, were they still, um, even though they're infertile, do they still look good? Or does yeah. it look like you have a calcium problem? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I mean, people really need to um, spend some time evaluating that. I think pay a little bit more attention to that. But, um, but anyway, uh, right. got a little sidetracked. You can, that's <laughs> no, okay. No, that's okay. Well, so because I think that was right on, right on, right on okay. track, but you know, because one of the things that, uh, so I, 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 with my euros and stuff, sometimes you'll see fairly big changes from like one year to the next. So, mm-hmm. Uh, just to, just as an example, um, the Moroccan Euromastics that I was talking about, who has cl- a clutch in the incubator right now, um, she's laid for like the last, I don't know, four years, five years, something like that. Um, I usually try to give them years off here, you know, every, maybe right. every two years or so, year off, that kind of thing. But um, sometimes what I've noticed is like, let's say she'll lay a clutch of 18 eggs, right? All of it, you know. 17 out of 18 hatched. They all look great. Everybody's happy. Everybody's healthy, kicking ass. And then maybe the next year I give her a year off. And then third year she, she lays eggs again. Sometimes they'll lay actually a smaller clutch after that year off. Right. Like she'll lay 12 instead of, Mm. instead of 18 or something like that. And sometimes it's fewer eggs, but man, those babies come out like just flexing, just jacked, you know? Right. And it's like, that's, that's where I'm, you know, it's like for me anyway, I feel like it's hard for me to just, just determine, okay, is this purely due to the year off? Like why, why was it fewer eggs after a year off than, you know, the year previous, right? If, if that clutch of 18, the babies all hatched out, were healthy, were ready to rock and roll. They just hatched out at a smaller size, but they still achieved like the same adult size as, as their, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit later counterparts that hatched out a little more jacked and a little more vigorous. And so one of the the struggles that I've been trying to um, refine a little bit more, which is partly why I was, I was asking about this topic is, is, is that um, 
I'm finding it a little bit difficult personally to distinguish between this is something that I could address through a care method, you know, like, or, or is this something that's like more about the specific animal? I don't have any good met. I, at least at the moment, I don't have a lot of great ideas in my head about how to differentiate between those two circumstances. Right. So, so in your case, what you're talking about is literally just the difference between a few eggs and you're talking about babies that are still healthy in both circumstances. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't think there's any, I don't personally, like I wouldn't sit there and try to evaluate that and beat it to death because there's so many variables that go into play with what an animal produces and how many eggs she produces and so on and so forth. So when I was using the example of a bearded dragon laying five eggs, I'm talking about a girl that repeatedly lays three or five eggs, not 30 eggs or 20 eggs. You see what I'm saying? So that's a huge difference. Um, You know, if she's laying between one time she lays 26 and the next time she lays 30, that's fine. Like, I mean, they typically are pretty consistent, but, and and a lot of times they're like right on the, right on the nose. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but that doesn't bother me, but, but you still have to, you have to take in cape. You have to keep in mind that there are so many variables. There are, what was their nutrition like? Was there a slight change in their nutrition? Was there a slight change in her nutrition just prior to becoming gravid, just prior to you pairing them? Um, was the winter harder for them? Was, you know, there's like, was she stressed out because there was some sort of environmental change? You know, there's like, was she introduced to a new male? Was this a new mate for her? So this is a male that she wasn't accustomed to. And so maybe her stress level was a little higher or, or whatever. I mean, there's all these variables and and we always try to like pinpoint exactly what it is. Like, what is that one thing? Um, and that oftentimes just, it's often there's multiple things that, that cause these variances. But, but what you're talking about is, is two healthy sets of circumstances. You're not talking about, um, like I see people posting photos of eggs that are, I know right out of the bat are not going to make it. I'm like, that they're not going to make it. Those are those, they held them too long. You know, they held the clutch too long. You need to be evaluating. Yeah. Why did she hold these eggs so long? She mm. what she was not, she was not provided the proper place to lay. Like something is off. She was either dehydrated. And so she wasn't able to lay or she didn't have the, she didn't feel comfortable, to, you know, with the space that she was provided. You didn't realize the signs, whatever. So that's when you really have to sit down and start evaluating, like, what's going on here. And of course, if an animal holds eggs too long, what happens? A lot of times the eggs will die. So mm-hmm. because she held them yeah. too long, they'll, you know, if they hold them too long, they go bad. So um, yeah. those are the circumstances that you need to be like <clears throat> picking it apart and finding out what's going on. You know, why do I have, um, you know, sometimes people, newer keeper, newer breeders will post that, you know, their eggs have the little stars on them, you know, and they think that's really cool. And it is cool looking. It really is. It looks like little star pattern on them. Um, but that's, that is in that particular set of circumstances, the girl could have used a little bit more calcium. It's not horrible, but she could have used a little bit more calcium. And then in other circumstances, you see them and they're just very, very, you know, the eggs are very, very thin, which puts the female at risk because the eggs are more likely to rupture. Um, it's, it's, and it's not, it's, you're drawing calcium from her that she obviously didn't have reserves for. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're, it's a disservice to, um, to the babies that are incubating too. So, you know. 
That's when you really need to be going, okay, what happened here? And a lot of times it's not just one single cause. It's usually a multiple, you know, multiple things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're saying I might be getting a little bit neurotic about (laughs) Did I say that? You gotta, you you gotta loosen up. Just chill. You know what, Roy? Roy, I'm in a hoodie. You're in this hat jacket combo. I feel like I'm a lot more chill. As somebody who has a tendency towards being a perfectionist and wanting to know the why before everything, you know, why behind everything, um, I get it. But that also puts me in a position to be able to tell you, you need to chill out. (laughs) All right. Because I'm the same same way. And, and, And over the years, I've become a little bit, I've become less you know, neurotic about it. I'm not quite as like, I'm like, okay, some things just are, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's, that's I, I, I actually, I appreciate that quite a bit, actually. It's very helpful. Um, so, so another, another aspect of your, of your work is that you do more than just bearded dragons, right? So you have a huge mm-hmm. swath of stuff that you work with down there. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of curious about how, if at all, some of the, like, man, I feel like I'm doing a really poor job of structuring this question, even in my own mind. Um, maybe, uh, Roy, can I pass a, like this off to you and say, can you ask a question? Cause I feel like my brain is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not moving right maybe, maybe just to begin, could you tell us about some of the other species you're working with just to start from there and then we can kind of move sure. further. So, um, I have Aki's, um, so we did have the large monitors, the lace monitors. Um, we had Spencer's um, and we had croc monitors at one time. But, you know, this obviously we're in Florida. So mm-hmm. potentially those could be banned at a later date. Um, I enjoyed working with them, but they didn't really fit, you know, our like what we're trying to do. So um so, so we actually don't work with those any longer. Um, those were sold last year. Um, but I do kept, I did keep the Aki's. I like everything in that size range. I ha- seem to have this, like anything yeah. that's the size of like, like the banana pectinata, the Aki's, the bearded dragons, they're all kind of within that same range of size. And that seems to be like what I have a tendency to gravitate towards. So, um, so yeah, so I have the Aki's, the banana pectinata, um, I got those as babies because I like to grow everything up myself. Um, mm-hmm. So I bought those in 2019. So they're coming up on four years of age. So I did produce one clutch last year, um, but I'm hoping to produce obviously more this year since my girls have pretty much matured at this point. So I have six girls. I have 4.6 with the bananas. Mm-hmm. And then um, we have the blue tongues, which I enjoy. Yeah. Um I've been keeping those since 2017. So, nice. and then we acquired some others this past year. Um, so those are a lot of fun and I enjoy them. And again, about the size of a bearded dragon. <laughs> so good medium sized um, animal. Yeah. 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 And then we have uh crested geckos. So we work on those, the crested geckos. I, I honestly like, for the most part, those, um, we have the Exanthic project, but I exported, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I exported all of the um, visuals that we produced. And then I also have, uh, we have, I have a number of pet store accounts, obviously, mm-hmm. Bearded Dragons. So right. those, those usually go to my, those usually go to my uh, pet store accounts. So, 
And it's just, it's a time issue too. You know, I mean, I can only list so much online. So I have a lot of stuff that never is not listed, obviously. Um, So, yeah. So we have them and then the annuls, which um, we have quite a few that, um, that hopefully will prove out some new mutations this coming year. So we've been working on that. That's primarily Ron's baby. So um, I help with egg collection and tracking all of it and charting everybody and all that stuff. But that's pretty much, you know, that's a little bit more his, his area. And obviously I, you know, handle all the dragons. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think one of the things I wanted to get at with that is, are there ways in which the, um, like the, the sort of non-dragon stuff that you guys work with informs the dragons or vice versa. Like, I, I mean, I'd imagine there would be overlaps. I, I know there's overlaps, overlaps in care and things like that too, but in terms of um, systemization or um, in terms of like uh, concepts of development and, and, and the ways you're thinking about pushing a project forward, do those things o- overlap between the dragons and the other stuff and, and, and back and forth? Yeah. I mean, a lot of them, like we're not picking, the species that we work with, um, typically not all the time, obviously, but they typically fall within like a certain umbrella. You know, they all have mm-hmm. approximately the same, uh, cold and heat tolerances. And, oh yeah, I have the frilled dragons too, that I'm growing up that I got this past year. So, awesome. um, yeah. I always wanted those. So, yeah. So I have They're 20 fun. of those that I'm growing up and then I'll, you know, select, uh, you know, several pairs to keep out of that. So I'm very excited about that. Um, but yeah, they usually fall within a similar parameter. So it, it is honestly best um, in to have kind of, to, to not have 800 million different systems. That is a pain in the rear end. And the fewer systems that you have, the better off you'd be. Uh, and the easier it is to maintain and just be able to, you know, to function. So, um, you know, a lot of them are on the same or on a similar diet or on similar cycles, this, that, and the other. So, um, obviously I work with a lot of Australian species. That seems to be the one that I really gravitate towards. Um, so yeah, a lot of times they're on kind of a similar system. So our blue tongues, a lot of our blue tongues are in the same types of enclosures, believe it or not, as my bearded dragons. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So they have huge, you know, four by four enclosures. Um, so um, with ramps that I actually go up and bask on, which is, you know, pretty interesting. So, and then we do have a, a lower system too, that we have some of them in as well, but. Yeah. Very cool. And yeah, that's extremely cool stuff. Um, and, and especially like, I feel like the outdoor, like the outdoor side of what you guys do is, is, is so intriguing because I know there's always that trope that people say. It's like, oh, they're they're keeping them outdoors. It must be easier. It's it's oh, it's fine. It's it's easy when you're keeping them outdoors. It's but that's so total nonsense. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's funny. yeah. So so there's pluses and there's you know just like anything else. You know we've talked yeah. about it already. There's there's good things and there's you know you write your little list. There's there's great things about this. There's not so great things about this. So um, indoor keeping, you're able to manipulate and and produce kind of like this perpetual spring, you know, where it's always spring or you can manipulate and have like four seasons with the same species. I can't do that. So my season is like pretty much right on like true to whatever nature decides. Um, So 
you know, my season typically for the bearded dragon starts a little bit later than everybody else's. My season for the blue tongues is later than everybody else's. Everybody is like having litters born and, you know, and then like two months later, I'm like, oh, so, you know, I run behind. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm reliant upon, you know, whatever happens. So if we have a really, really cold winter, then they may start producing a little bit later. Um, you know, so there's all these different, there's so many different variables because nature is chaos. Um, and obviously Ron has been keeping outdoors for many, many years. That's most of his experience, um, you know, with his career. For me, I started outdoor keeping four years ago and I'm not going to lie. The first year it scared the crap out of me. I mean, it really is yeah. as, as a control freak, as a perfectionist, as somebody who doesn't want to make a mistake and doesn't want to mess up and doesn't want to hurt, you know, have anything happen. Um, you know, and I'm very proactive and he's reactive. So that creates some interesting conversations sometimes. Um, that was tough. That was really tough. It was just kind of like, are you sure that the systems are okay, that we're good and that it can go down to 40 and there's not going to be any problem? Are you sure we can go down to 32 and it's going to be all right? You know, is it, I mean, it was just like, so learning that and and I've learned more in the last four years about weather than I did in the, in the first, you know, 46 of my life. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So, you know, you, you, I look at weather completely different than I did before I started doing this outdoors. So, you know, I feel the sting in the air that before maybe I didn't pay as much attention to. I pay attention to what's going on with the rain cycles. You know, are we, are we getting too much rain? Are we not getting enough rain? Um, you know, do I need to put shields up? Do I need to take shields down? I mean, there's like all, you're constantly turning the dials. Everybody thinks, oh, you know, number one, they, Okay, so not everybody, but some people are of the opinion that it can't be done in Florida because it's too humid. So that's one thing I run across. And I'm like, okay, well, I've been doing it for years and it works great. So, you know, they they need to have water. Um, Number two is that they think that it's easy. Um, that you just mm-hmm. basically, it's a set it and forget it. And it is not at all. So we're constantly tweaking the dials. Um, last tonight before um, the podcast, we actually decided kind of last minute to, um, we use six mil plastics during the winter to create like a greenhouse effect. And so we decided last minute because the sting in the air, there seemed to be a little bit more sting than what the forecast was telling us. So we went ahead and, and covered everybody and um, pulled all the plastic down. So during the winter time, we'll put, I cut all the plastics, um, get it all lined up. And then um, we always like, we'll roll it back. So we'll vent it, maybe six, depending upon the weather. So we're venting, we have to make a decision each morning. Are we venting this one inch? Are we venting this six inches? Are we opening it all the way back to the back of the enclosure where it's like fully exposed to the sun. Like we've had some days that have been in the eighties. Um, so it's rolled back completely. Um, you know, so you're, you're making, and when do you do that? Like we have to be home to be able to do that. So, you know, if you cover it overnight, the sun comes up the next morning, when is that sting gone? So you're like, sometimes we're venting the plastic at 9am. Sometimes we're not doing it till 11am. Sometimes the weather is so garbage that we're not doing it at all that day. So it's just constant. It's very, it's highly variable and it's constantly changing. And it's, it's not, it's not a set it and forget it. It's not easy. I try to tell people that it's not easy. I have a lot of dragon people that really want to do outdoors, which I think is cool. But I'm like, look, like 
I'm saying this because I care, not because I'm worried about competition or anything like that. I mean, don't, you know, my competition is me, but I want you to be successful at this. So start with an outdoor enclosure that you're getting the hang of it and kind of getting the gist of it. Um, when you're home, when the weather is good, you know, make sure that you have solid wire bottoms, make sure that, you know, they're secure, make sure that you have shade, make sure that you're providing all these things for, for your animal. Um, and don't do this full time to start off the bat because mm. something's going to happen. Like it is, mm. it's a lot more involved than, than people realize. Um, oh, yeah. but it's very rewarding. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Um, and I don't have to clean up adult dragon poop. So yeah. it's, that's an awesome thing. Please so the plus, only ones yeah. that I'm cleaning up are the ones that I have inside. So, um, so yeah, I don't, they have huge enclosures. They're able to get exercise. They have ramps, they have branches, they have subfloors. Um, they can get out of the sun if they want to. They have multiple basking areas where there's no competition and everybody can have their own spot. Um, so there's, you know, there's, it, it really, they do really, really well. They do really well, so it it must it must make you fe- you guys feel so in tune with the animals too, you know, because you know we we talk all the time, um, not just on the show, but I just feel like all of us here talk all the time in general about just being responsive to your animals, right, mm-hmm. and learning how to interpret everything that they do. And I would imagine that in the context in which you're keeping outdoors. It's got to be, and especially in, in with 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 how chaotic you describe the weather being in general. I mean, you have to be not just responsive oh, sure. to everything around. It's got to be this constant interpretation yeah. dance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I'll give you like a couple of examples. So we had um, we had the forecast was showing that we were going to get some rain, and my animals needed rain; they needed water. So dragons don't have a tendency to drink out of water bowls. They're just kind of like, eh, I'll do the drip cup method for them um, for a little bit of water in their bowls. They do have bowls down there. And so some of them will run down and drink. They don't really get like the water that they need that way. So, um, but we kept on getting like these, <laughs> this, oh, it's going to rain. Psych. No, it's not. So this kept on happening. And I'm like, all right. So we literally, uh, a couple of days ago, we had to rain on the dragons with soaker hoses. I literally had to run soaker hoses. Now, most people would be like horrified at that idea, but, um, it's no different than somebody putting their animal in the shower, but the dragons will literally, they hauled, but like they ran up on their ramps and were like lapping up the water. So, mm-hmm. um, so that is a time where I had to take action because they, they needed to be hydrated. You know, they needed more than just their little water bowl that's sitting down there. Um, because dragons sometimes aren't the smartest cookies in the cookie jar. Um, but, <laughs> but <laughs> they're so dumb sometimes, but anyway, but <laughs> just like dude why are you doing that but anyway so so yeah we have to do that and then um there are during the rainy season of course that's when all my females are producing anyway so they need it but you have to know how much rain is the right amount of rain and how much rain is too much rain so being in tune to that and going okay well they're you know i need them to be able to dry out or have more da 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 so then depending upon the time of year, what our highs are, are, then we'll put partial shields up. So I'll have clear plastic shields and I have solid white shields that we put up that, um, like those roofing panels. Um, and so, yeah, so we use those. So those are constantly like 
going on and coming off and going on and coming off. At this time of year, I have the clear ones on so that they magnify to generate more heat. So, and those only close, those only cover a certain portion of the enclosure because I also want them to be able to have access to sun, plenty of access to sun, um, where they can go and bask and get, you know, and, and soak up that UV as well. So, so yeah, you're constantly like tweaking it and doing little things. So, um, it's, it's interesting. It's an adventure. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, my animals yeah. are great. I mean, they feel totally different than when I used to keep them indoors. So they, they, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they use all of their muscles and they use it in all different ways. I mean, some, they're sometimes they're climbing up the sidewall, you know, other times they're on the basking on the branch and it's just really, you know, sometimes they hang. Like I posted that photo a few days ago with the girl just kind of hanging there, like just literally just like, I was like, whatever. And she stayed there for a while. She, she, she was fine. That's just what she wanted to yeah. do. So. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. So, um, and so some people will ask me, they'll say, well, do you have any problems with them getting along or do you have issues with that? And so on and so forth. The thing the most people for the dragons anyway, when you run into problems with them, cohabbing is not giving them the ability to get away from each other, not mm-hmm. offering multiple places for them to bask. That's the, that's the keeper's fault. That's not the dragon's fault. So, um, not offering them places where they can each kind of retreat from each other if they choose to do so and kind of have their own space. So that's not to say that there's never anything that comes up. Um, And it's funny, usually when there's some sort of a squabble that comes up, it's usually between two females, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's usually between two females, go figure. Um, But yeah. So, you know, I have, I have some FEMAs that are just super alpha and I just, they, they live by themselves. Um, Their, their mate goes and visits them and then, you know, and then he goes back with, you know, another girl or two, but I don't, there's, I have a couple of girls that I don't cohab with anybody. I try not to keep girls that are real dominant like that, but you know, I have two that I really like them. So like, okay. And they're fine with me. They have no attitude with me. Some people also wonder, you know, how they behave outdoors versus indoors. I had somebody ask me that on Facebook a couple of days ago. And um, for the most part, they act exactly the same. So my dragons are fantastic outside. They don't have any attitude problem with me or anything like that. The only exception would be is if I startle them. So, um, you know, if, if I all of a sudden come up on them quick, they may flare up and be like, oh, hell no. But they would do that indoors anyway. Um, but that same one that, you know, had an attitude, I can go and pick up two seconds later once she realizes I'm not a threat. And then it's just like, oh, it's just her. Um, but <laughs> but sometimes when I move them from indoors to outdoors, I'll actually put them like they'll be growing up indoors. Then I'll put them on an indoor outdoor system for a little while. So they kind of get used to being indoors and out, you know, being outside, but not all the time. And then when I put them outdoors, um, I've only had one, I think, I, I think pretty sure I've only had one dragon that was just like, oh, hell no on living outdoors. Like that was just not his thing. He just didn't want to adjust. And I was like, okay. And he was sweet as could be. So I just, I went ahead and pet homed him, but, um, oh. you know, he just didn't, he just didn't want to be outdoors, but that's really unusual, like really unusual. So, and, and most of the time after they get through their initial, like, whoa, what just happened? And, you know, um, and their initial kind of like adjustment period, then they're totally fine. Whatever, whatever characteristics they were displaying indoors, they display outdoors. So. 
it's it's like uh when you were meant when you were mentioning how they they feel totally different because they're using all their muscles it's like they're cross training you know like <laughs> or, or like you know you because you have uh it's just you know if somebody's keeping it indoors and in sort of like a slightly more sterile or like less diverse uh ranges of motion being used they're probably just like you know like well i do a lot of pull-ups Great. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, they they their grip is completely different than an animal that's kept indoors yeah. because they use all of their muscles. They're constantly in motion and they're in all different angles. And it's not that's something that's not really easy to replicate indoors unless you have massive indoor enclosures. So right. um so yeah, it's just it's it is different. But um but yeah, but I really enjoy it. It's really cool to just go out yeah. there and watch everybody. So but I mean it's a lot of responsibility too though. I end up out there um this time of year i'm out there every day walking and looking to make sure you know is anybody starting to dig where are they digging um with the position of the sun throughout the year the place that they lay in the enclosure changes throughout the year too so as they progress through the season they'll change their position because they're looking for that specific temperatures you know 84 degrees so so they may start in the back, like this time of year, most of my girls are laying in the back. Although one of my girls the other day, she started in the back and she ended up laying in the front corner. I was like, okay, hmm. but I wouldn't have known that unless I was walking around and being observant and checking out and seeing what was going on. Um, but I'm also going in there three days a week and I have basically a, a, a chart on my phone um, where I update it. Like, and I'll put like, like I, all of my enclosures are numbered. So like I have L1, L5, L7, whatever. So I'll say L1, Dunner, grab it, you know, um, L7, red girl, digging now so that I always know, kind of have an update. So I don't ever forget and go, oh, who was it that was digging, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, so that it's more efficient. And then that way I I don't miss anything, but I go through and feel the girls like three days a week at this time of year saying, okay, who's grabbing and what, what you know, where in the process are they? Are they going to be laying in the next couple of days or do I have a week on this? You know, is she ovulating? So I'll make a lot of notes. So that way I know. So. Have you, have you ever uh, let them or would they uh, hatch out of the ground if you left the eggs or do you, I wouldn't do that because I don't, the enclosures they're designed so that you know the animal shouldn't be able to get out. But I mean, you're talking about like a four inch baby or whatever. Uh, And I, and, and So, okay. So a couple of things. Number one, I don't want anything to escape. So Mm -hmm. I don't want little baby dragons running around. So I'm super anal about that. Um, Number two is that the eggs really don't incubate all that well out there Mm -hmm. anyway. Like when I've, you know, gone out there and gone out there, you know, a week later, something like that. Um, if I was at Tenley, for example, but I knew that she had yeah. laid or whatever. Um, then I, you know, it's like, kind of like, I kind of wonder, and and honestly, I never looked into it. I need to ask one of the guys in Australia or something because or check into it. Um, I honestly haven't done any digging on it, but if she lays 30 eggs mm-hmm. and how many of those 30 would actually hatch, you know, and how yeah. many would make it to the surface? Because my experience is here. That's one of the reasons why they have 30 eggs because they all wouldn't hatch and they all wouldn't make it to the right. surface. So, right. Um, but, but I've never really allowed them to go through, you know, full incubation or whatever. So, um, right. but yeah. 
for our higher hatch rates, I would definitely pull them. And just like I said, being a responsible breeder to put the state and everything. So. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I forgot about the I forgot about the possibility of them getting out. Now, yeah. And 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 even like I don't I really we do so many things here. We do so many things to to mitigate the weather conditions and stuff. They wouldn't do colonies of them would not do well in Florida anyway. They just wouldn't. Yeah. We get so much rain. We get so much rain. So I, I don't think that they would be a species that would do well here at all. So mm-hmm. right, right. And you know, right. during the freezes and stuff like that, I mean, there's a lot of extra stuff that we provide. So um, you know, my my outdoor adults will actually we had a couple of nights where it was it, we did hit 32. We actually hit 31. Um, and they did just fine, didn't skip a beat. But we have subfloors and you know, and, yeah. and they're covered, and so they're not exposed to the elements that they would be. Mm-hmm. Right. Man, fascinating. That's some such cool stuff. Damn. It's like, it's crazy to hear about the immense amount of detail and um, like rigor that goes into everything that you're having to consider at any given point in time uh, to keep them outside. Like that's fucking awesome. Um, So I want to maybe pass it over to, to Roy for, I mean, because I, I've been asking like 90% of the questions (laughs) is, which is like what I always do. Um, Roy, would you, uh, can I throw that? pass the ball over to you. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, cool. I mean, it sounds like, you know, when you were approaching herpetoculture and, and starting out, you, you, you said that you weren't really trying to follow anyone's mold necessarily. And you were more just, um, going your own way. Seeing it, mm-hmm. it sounds like to me, like you were doing what you would, you would like to see done in herpetoculture to right. some extent. Right. You yeah. know? And so, yeah, I just wanted to yeah provide a healthy pet for somebody was my main goal. Yeah, Yeah, totally. So along those lines, I'm curious, like, like for aspiring herpetoculturists, like who want to pursue like high quality um, customer service, high quality reptiles. Do you have any kind of insights that you would offer to somebody who's who's aspiring towards that and starting out? Um, I just think that Taking it slow and, mm-hmm. and doing your homework is so important. Everybody gets super excited. I mean, I get excited. I understand. Um, but taking it slow, like my patience with everything, um, which I'm not always the most patient person, but for this, I was very patient and, and, mm-hmm. and I think that really paid off. So, um, I think that's incredible. That's extremely important. And I mean, the information is out there now, nowadays. I mean, there's so many podcasts. I mean, you can learn anything now. I mean, you guys, I mean, there's so many awesome, awesome podcasts out there. We can learn so much information and you can really kind of gain and learn from others' experiences and going to the shows and asking questions, you know, just being respectful though, and not asking them when there's, you know, 10 buying customers at their table, but choosing off times to maybe go by and visit breeders and ask questions, intelligent questions. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I was just constantly digging and, and reading like old forums and stuff, which at mm-hmm. the time was like, you know, fauna and king snake. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, so, um, you know, I would go through and late at night after I had gotten off of work, I would just read through all these forums. And, and so you saw a lot of drama and a lot of stupid stuff, but I learned a yeah. lot too, you know, cause there was a lot of topics that would come up. So, um, you know, and being able to, um, 
you know, in your mind, ask questions like, you know, this person is saying this, does this make sense? You know, there's the argument, does this make sense? You know, um, does this mean definitively that this is the only answer out there? You know, just just being able to, to look at things and kind of critique it and go, okay, well, you know, is this the only way or is this, you know, I don't know, kind of got off on a little bit there, yeah. but yeah. No, that's perfect. That's a really great response. I love that. Um, so yeah. another uh, question. Oh, sorry. Go, you, oh, oh, no. Right. My bad. <laughs> we have we have such excellent timing just speaking at the same time. <laughs> um, yeah, we do. We were feeling it. But no, I just, I just, I, yeah, I appreciate that answer. Just like uh, starting at a small scale, like going slow. I think that that's such, such good advice for this, the, for this trade. Cause I see so many people that just dive in headlong and get in over their head almost immediately. And then they're just like, oh my God, what have I done? You know, it's, it's. Yeah. Um, and, and you, and you don't realize you can read everything. You can read everything out there. You can hear people say, oh, I started slow or, oh, I did this or whatever. But until you're actually doing it, mm-hmm. you don't know, you know, like it's, it's a totally different ball of wax. And yep. by going slow, then you're able to really figure out because things happen, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, why is this baby doing this? And you have to be able to learn that. And you don't want to learn that with a hundred babies doing that. You want to learn it with a couple of babies yeah. doing this, you know? Um, so the mistake, smaller mistakes are easy, easier to correct and clean up than bigger mistakes and bigger mm-hmm. mistakes snowball mm-hmm. and they make a big That's- mess. And then you have a huge problem where you do end up with, um, you know, there's been chit chat lately about you know animals not having want you know not having homes and this that and the other and and that really comes from in my opinion a lot of that comes from just irresponsibility on the breeder's part you know mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't have the contacts established if you don't have the reputation if you don't know what you're doing yet if you can't hang on to those animals for an indefinite period of time before you can get them homed, because I've said this on another podcast, I'm like, bearded dragons are kind of like a ticking time bomb. You know, they keep on eating, they keep on eating. You have to separate them. They grow, they grow, they grow. So if you don't have established contacts, established accounts that, and, and actually you want to have more accounts than you have animals, um, then you're doing the animals a disservice. And so that's when you start seeing up online excuse me, where you see animals that are like missing full limbs, you know, like a toe nip is going to happen. You know, a a baby dragon may go after a cricket and miss and then, you know, take out a little toe and that can happen. That's, that's, you know, that can happen. Um, And on occasion, you're going to have something that is a little bit more aggressive, but keeping an eye on everything and looking for signs of aggression and stuff like that, um, until you really get to know what you're doing, then you should be doing that on a small scale, not on a large scale. Right. So, cause that's just when, that's when you end up with a lot of animals that are not wanted and don't have homes. And, and, you know, there's, there's all this just, you know, they're deformed and weren't given proper nutrition and, and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. So um, I think it's super important to, and, and maybe some of that, I mean, I think I carried that with me anyway, but maybe some of that was through, um, a, a touch of my realization of that early on came from mm-hmm. watching my ex-husband mm-hmm. um, and his choices mm-hmm. and what he did, which I didn't agree with. Um, right. So yep. 
a, a touch of that might have come from there, but me just knowing I didn't want to be overwhelmed and I want to learn as much as I possibly can and not be um, not. I don't want anything to suffer because of my irresponsibility, you know, because I was too eager to have, you know, a million of them or, you know, whatever. I don't know. So, yeah, yeah. No, I very much, I, uh, I appreciate that response a lot because especially the part about the little messes are easier to clean up than bigger messes because that there's a lot of wisdom in that. And it's not just about shit, you know? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. For real. Yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah, that's, that's so true. That's excellent. Um, yeah, so changing changing topics, uh, ever so slightly because we so we're creeping up right getting close to two hours here. So mm-hmm. if it's okay, uh, I have sure. like maybe two or three remainders. Um, that I okay. and, and one in particular is uh, one that um, I was asking you about before the show, uh, which is um considering that herpeticulture is like pretty clearly like a male dominated industry. Um, can you speak a little bit to like what the experience for you has been like as a woman in, in herpeticulture? Um, so uh, yeah, and I, I really haven't had, I wouldn't say that my experience has been negative. Um, it's just, um, I, I really, I don't feel like, I mean, some people go out there and some, some women have seemed to have had more struggles with it than others. Um, I, I really haven't had much of an issue with it. Um, I will say initially, especially nowadays, but I mean, nowadays too, I mean, me being this far in, I mean, I've been around mm-hmm. for a long time. So, but I think as a whole, I think the, the industry is much more accepting of women than they used to be. So initially, I mean, it was kind of a more of a good old boy type of, you know, thing where women were maybe not as encouraged, um, or there was some, um, you know, what their capabilities were or whatnot might have been perhaps looked down upon a bit. Um, and so, you know, there were circumstances where it was just kind of like, maybe you're not taken quite as seriously. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but I, but I really don't, I, I really, I really feel that this industry, for the most part, I mean, there's exceptions, and this is going to be in any industry, in any community, in any whatever, um, that this this industry is actually very, I feel like, um, in my experiences and those of many, many people that I've run across and met, that for the most part, that the industry has been very welcoming of everybody, you know, that this is kind of a industry of, I don't want to say that we're a bunch of misfits, but I mean, we just, we just all come from different walks, walks of life and we all have this commonality, you know, and, and, um, and so I think we have the ability to be more united than we are. And I don't, um, I think if everybody could kind of, set their egos down aside uh, a mm-hmm. little bit and just kind of really try to communicate with each other and not be so quick to react. Um, you know, we all screw up. We all make mistakes. We're all learning our entire lives. Um, none of us are perfect. And um, I, th- I, I don't know. I just, I just think that, I think that as a whole, we actually um, there's, there's very little, I, I think that, that women are pretty well accepted within uh, this industry at this point in time. Um, and that everybody as a whole, um, no matter what lo- white, you know, no matter what walk of life you come from, 
I think is pretty accepted as a whole. Um, I think what shouldn't be accepted is you behaving like an irresponsible asshole. <laughs> you know, I mean, so, <laughs> so, you know, somebody that is just, you know, you have, I don't know, every community has their troublemakers and the, you know, those that are just, you know, they don't have the industry's uh, interest best at heart. And, you know, they are, um, selfish, you know, some, some people are selfish, but, but that doesn't matter. I mean, you're going to find that anywhere. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. You're going to see that. So, um, I don't know. I, I think overall, I'm pretty proud of the industry in general, as far as being pretty accepting of everybody that I've seen enter. So unless you're disrespectful, unless you're a jerk, you know, then obviously, you know, but yeah. But I'm hoping we can kind of reach a point where we're banding together a little bit and and reaching that um and understanding that we're we're all coming from the same place. We all have a love mm-hmm. of of working with these species and we all want to continue to do so and that we should be kind of working together to to help each other out. Um and hopefully that will that's what I'm hoping for anyway. I, I think that I think that we can move more in that direction, but I think there's a lot of that already. You know, I don't, I don't think we're doing a bad job. Yeah. It seems like momentum is building in that direction. I think so. And and so, and yeah. And, and sometimes, sometimes you think, Oh my God, everything's so negative and da, 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 da. But, but I think a lot of times that comes from people that are really negative or that they have a lot of derogatory things to say, um, or they're hateful or whatever, those are usually the loudest. Mm-hmm. So you don't hear sometimes beauty is silent, you know, sometimes yeah. the best yeah. of the world remain silent. And so it appears that there's all this, you know, all this, I don't know, whatever toxic garbage going on when actually it's probably pretty small. It's just happens to be the loudest. It's the loudest on social media. Like you'll notice something like you'll particularly notice if you haven't noticed it already, you'll notice it more when we, um, next time you're on social media, when you post something positive and you post something exciting and you post something that is designed to bring everybody together, um, Versus when you post something that is bad news or you're ticked off about something, you've had a bad day or something's fallen apart. Which one gets more traction? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or the yeah, negative. The negative. yeah. So yeah. on social media, it, it does have a tendency to be, um, and you know, and we all have a bad day and we get on there and vent, but you know, mm-hmm. I try not to vent anymore because I realize sometimes it grows legs when all you were having was like you were just yeah. having a bad day, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I just noticed that. I noticed that a lot of times posts where somebody is complaining about another, they're complaining about something. It just takes on this life of its own and everybody jumps in. But, you know, if there's something that's fantastic, that is very positive, that there's something, you know, something that everybody can learn from in it, that mm-hmm. sometimes that just kind of, it seems like that is more frequently ignored. So, yeah, yeah the just my algorithms. two cents on that. Algorithms are definitely fueled by outrage a lot of the time, unfortunately. For sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great answer. And then sometimes it's our own, you know, it's our own inner desire to like jump in and vent for the day because we've been frustrated Mm -hmm. or this, that, and the other. And then, you know, some people are just really prone to 
that's drama what your and toxicity are for. and huh yeah <laughs> so that's what your in-person friends are for <laughs> yeah 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 for real um yeah that's a that's a great that's a great answer uh yeah so that so uh what what does the what is the future this is like a maybe a two-part two two multi like a multi-pronged question but what does the future look like for for you and and so that can be um obviously like what does the future look like for for fa- fairy tale dragons but also mm-hmm. what do you think the future i mean it, it, and i don't necessarily mean like can you make some predictions but I, I guess are do you have any like gut feelings at all about like maybe where Perpetoculture as a whole is going or like what, you know, things that we may or may see kind of on the horizon that things that might change, things that might uh, surprise us or anything like that. So I, I know it's kind of two separate questions, but that's what no, I think. No, no, so. Um, <laughs> so I think for the future of the industry as a whole, um, I think that's up to each one of us. You know, I, I mm. think that that's up to each of us that are um, that are out there and and doing our thing every day. It depends on, you know, how do we how do we lead? How do we show by example? Um, what do we put forth? You know, what do we put forward? Do we put forth a lot of toxic, like, you know, oh my God, the world's coming to an end and everybody is horrible? Or do we put forth, you know, some solutions and working together and being responsible about those solutions and and trying to find the answers and and having some understanding in each other that, you know, all of our lives are different and we all have you know, different things going on and that, you know, it's okay to disagree. I, I think that's one of the biggest things that drives me bonkers is that there seems to be like, um, this is going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but um, yeah. is <laughs> if I don't forget. Um, yep. I forgot, but um, no. Oh, no. but we just, well, yeah, I did. And it was, you know, but I, I think that, Oh, this is what I was going to say. So, we have a tendency to, and I've learned through time, and I used to do it, is thinking that there is only one way to do something, or the only mm-hmm. there's only one right way, and that that's my way, or that's the way I was taught, and that that's the only way that it works. And that's mm-hmm. not true because we were talking earlier, um, Phil, about variables. You know, there's there's oftentimes many yeah. pieces to the puzzle that create a solution. So. Um, you know, I think we all need to be more open and realizing that there's a lot of different ways to do things and there's, and that um, communicating without getting all our feathers ruffled and feeling like, you know, that we need to get defensive and so on and so forth, but actually just having a conversation, which sometimes that's difficult on social media, because if I had a bad day and I have a bad attitude and I go and read your post, then I'm obviously, how am I going to take that? My bad yeah, day is yeah. going to be reflecting in what I read, right? So I'm going to be putting some emotions and stuff that is that may or may not be there. They're mine. They're not yours. It's not what you were trying to convey. So um, communication and text can be challenging sometimes. And I think that all of us that are uh, active in the community need to be more aware of that and kind of take the lead and just kind of slow down and ask some questions before we jump the gun and start you know, ripping mm-hmm. each other apart. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that if we're able to kind of have conversations and I think these podcasts are really helpful um, and I think more and more people are starting to, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of them out there now. And I think a lot of them uh, such as just yourself 
being very responsible about it and putting out a good message that um, that we can make some positive changes and kind of learn to to work together because it shouldn't matter if I'm like, I think you guys talked about it actually with um, Rapashi. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys were talking about, um, you know, it doesn't matter what, what you're breeding. If I'm breeding a bearded dragon or if I'm in the frog community or if I'm in, um, you know, Euromastics or whatever, we all have our little clicks or whatever, but, um, but we all have the same love. So, so we all love the reptiles. Um, we all love what we do. We love keeping and we want to be able to continue to do that. So, um, so I think there are going to be some restrictions that come along, um, that we're going to continue to see some more restrictions and I'm not opposed to all of them, um, depending upon how they're rolled out because some people are responsible and some people are not. So if, right. if things are lined up to handle those that are not responsible, then I can't say that I have much of an issue with that because that needs to be done for everyone. Um, but, yeah. but, but I don't want overreach either, you know, so. All of us want to be able to have the ability to keep things. Um, you don't want to have that taken away. So, I mean, there's, right. again, I've, I've learned, you know, balance and everything, you know, everything's about balance. So um, there should be some rules and you should be held accountable for certain things, but you don't want that to go too far either. There's certain things that, you know, a 16 year old shouldn't be able to buy at a show. They just shouldn't, Yeah, you know, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So there's certain things yes. that if somebody's going to buy that they should, they should have a license for it. Um, and it should be pit tagged. So, I mean, there are, you know, it's just keeping it reasonable and not letting it get out of hand. So, and, um, and if we're all a little calmer about the conversations and a little bit less of the, um, you know, I'm not going to, you know, but actually yeah. just being, <laughs> you know, having an intelligent conversation, then yeah, I can yeah. think that we can come up with, um, you know, more solutions and, you know, it's better on everybody's stress level too. (laughs) But, um, and then, and as far as fairy tale, um, really, you know, obviously for many, many years, my focus was solely on the bearded dragons um, for the most part. And then it was about really kind of finding what I really enjoyed working outside of that. I wanted to work with a lot of species, um, many years ago, but because I was working full time, because I had my daughter, because, you know, I mean, just life in general, um, the puzzle pieces didn't fit for me to have a lot of different species. Like it just would have been irresponsible and it would have been too much for me to handle. So I didn't really explore any of the others until obviously, you know, I was completely full time. Um, and so, and Rod and I work really well together because we kind of like, fill in the gaps for each other. So I'm very proactive and he's very reactive, which means that we lock horns, but, um, sometimes, <laughs> but, but we also, but that's okay though, but we're able to like punch holes in each other's thoughts and go, you know, and make sure that our ideas are unassailable, you know, that we, that we're on target yeah. and that we're not missing anything. And so, um, you know, we, we balance each other really, really well. So he's amazing at designing systems, um, I'm very detail oriented, extremely detail oriented. So I'm able to pick out things that maybe he misses. Um, but he's able to design some amazing systems. And, you know, of course he's like 
Encyclopedia Britannica walking around here because if you ask him what a species is, he can tell you the common name, the scientific name, where it's from, what type of environment it lives in, how it should be set up. You know, I mean, he just goes rolls on and on and on. So um, that is not my super. You know, I don't have that. But um, but anyway, so and you know, we found some. You know, eventually we have some projects that we kind of work on together that are fun. But um, but yeah, so I think. So what I've been working towards is, is really the only thing that, that I really have is, is I'll eventually get to a place where I've, I've already cut back some now, but I won't produce as many dragons as I have the last couple of years. Cause that wasn't so fun. Um, mm. I like the smaller numbers. I like the conversations with, you know, the kid that's been saving his allowance for three years. I like the conversation yeah. with the up and coming breeder that's done their homework that has a few intelligent questions. You know, I, that's, that's what I like. Um, and I love the species and I'll never get out of the species. So um, I'll always keep some until, you know, I'm not here anymore. Um, yeah. So I'll always have them and I'll breed them for as long as I possibly can. Um but I, but I, um, but we are, you know, I, I really enjoy like the blue tongues. My blue tongue colony is, is grown. Um, and the bananas are, you know, have now, uh, reached adulthood. And so there's a lot of exciting things, uh, that's, that are coming. So I mean, I'll be offering more variety. Basically, you'll just see, see things, you know, more on fairy tales table than we have in the past. There'll be more species. Um, but, um, but as far as like my retail customer, they're not going to notice the drop in the number of dragons I'm producing. The only ones that are going to notice are, you know, my pet store accounts. Those are the only ones that'll pick that up. So, but but they'll have other things that I'm offering them and, you know, so. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's great. Wonderful stuff. Well, uh, definitely look forward to seeing what the future holds for you guys and uh, and, and what you're up to in general. It's going to be, and hopefully yeah. we can all meet eventually one day in person. No, we all got to hang out. Yeah, for real. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's it's crazy to think that uh, there's so many people who we know who we end up developing cool friendships with, and then just it's like I've never met these people in person. It's totally bizarre. Um, I mean, I, there's a couple of people I talk to every, almost every day to every day that I have never met in person. Oh, yeah, and then I've been same. doing That's that cool. for years. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 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 You know, Yeah. but they're some of my best yeah. friends. Yeah. Totally. And they, yeah. I mean, there's some of my best friends out there and I've never met them in person. It's so weird to think. That's that. so, so surreal. So yeah. surreal. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, and amazing. Uh, well, so. Yes, in yes, super amazing, super weird. It's like Roy and I have never <laughs> met in person to this day. It's totally this is trippy. The year. Wonder how long. Exactly, it's- <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> this is the year. Yeah, no, this has got to be the year. It is weird. Um, so uh, we there, we so we have one like one kind of final question. Um, you might know the question that we ask. It's like one we ask at, at the end of every show. Um, Roy, do you want to? Be, do yeah. the honors on, for, on that sure. bad boy. Yeah. Okay. So the question is why herpetoculture? And, you know, that could mean why do you do it? Um, why do we do it? Why does it matter? Why herpetoculture? I think it's another way to connect with people. So, and to 
share something that you care about and that you love and you can share it with others that have the same passion. So I think that, um, I think that's a big part of it, you know, is, is that connection with others and being able to, um, I mean, there's so many, like we were just talking about, there's all these friendships that were formed from being in this business. I have friends that literally bought a dragon as a pet that are friends, you know, not, not industry people, but they just bought a bearded dragon. And I talk to them almost every day. I mean, that's incredible, you know? So having that connection with others and having something that, that you can share. And even if you're, even if you come from a different walk of, even if you come from a totally different life and you come from a totally different set of circumstances and, you know, you're not in the same, um, industry as far as what you do for a living because what we do for a living is not all that we are so i mean i don't know i just think it's really cool you know you just end up i've met so many amazing people i met a lot of amazing people um like i said we were talking about the jewelry industry you know you meet all these different people and um that do all these different things for a living and and it's an ability you have the ability to connect with others and this industry offers that same thing so I think that's why um, it was such a fit for me is that, um, and then I love the animals. So it's just kind of a win-win. So. Yeah. Awesome. Love that. That's a yeah. great answer. I love it. Yeah. We've had so many, we've had such like a, a diversity of responses to that particular question. And, um, and, and it. Oh, and I could answer to... like, yeah, you could take it from a different angle and talk all night long. You could go another three totally. hours, you know, by taking it from all yeah. the different angles as far as, you know, why, you know, so that's just the first one that popped up in our head, my head based on, you know, how our conversation went for the evening. That's just kind of what's on my, what's on the mind. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back on at some point in the future, if that's okay with you. So that way we can maybe, maybe that conversation will flavor a different answer to the same question. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah. Be cool. Um, well, so awesome. uh, can you? We, we got to before we hit the recording. End, oh yeah, yeah. Before we, we do that, yet, we got to do that. We got to do before we hit the end recording. We got to do like where everybody can find, uh, yes. where where everybody can find you on the socials and stuff, Heather. Uh, best way to reach out to me is on Instagram or on Facebook for fairy tale dragons T A I L, um, and that's that's the easiest way to reach me. Um, I, my website right now, I mean, it's there, but because it's out of season, we're out of season right now, there's no activity on it. Um, and like, I don't like emails. I'm not an email person. I I hate emails. Maybe it's because it's so full of junk at this point in time that it's just ridiculous. It doesn't matter. It just, you know, you get lobbed. It's, it's much easier to filter through and everything and and talk to people. I think uh, a lot of times and private message and and whatnot. Um, I do answer emails, but I'm just slower with them. And then, um, so yeah. And then following, I post to them, fairly frequently so everybody's kind of you know um so you're able to kind of see what i have got going on what's happening so on and so forth i post updates as you know baby season kind of begins to ranch ramp up so people can see when i'm listing and and all that fun stuff what projects i have so sweet sounds great we'll have show notes um, links in the show notes for all of our listeners to all those things yep all right thanks guys Yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah Thank you so um, much. 
Until next time. Roy, you're going to hit the... Yeah, I'm hang on. You're going to hit the stop. I'm doing it. I'm going to hit the stop. Okay, you guys ready? You ready? Okay, here it goes. <laughs> <laughs>